Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Olivia, hello. Hello. We've had some technical difficulties getting started. We've had some life difficulties recording the podcast the last few weeks. But we are here right now. We are here. We are back on track, you know. January had kind of a rocky start for the for the WT, but we are powering <laughs> for through. the WT. We live in the type life. No, but, but you know, Olivia, you've got your fancy new job, your awesome, cool new firm, and I completely moved across the country downwards, and I'm in a new place now. So we're excited to finally get back in the habit of all the fun type news that everybody loves. Yeah. We just need to settle in a little bit and, you know, now we're going to just like ride the wave that is 2021. We're still in a pandemic. Yeah. And yet there's still so much type news. Type world doesn't stop for nobody. I feel like we picked out a fun variety today. Today's a cool batch. It's, It's fairly light. Nothing absolutely bonkers intense. Even though somebody did just share with me that there was like a another rebrand this week like in the world of rebrands anchor brewing company Ooh, i don't know them they're a beer company they're 125 years old and you know it was one of those classic let's let's make our old branding modern another branding Mm -hmm. and i was like we got to get away from the branding we were gonna put in more branding this week and we were like we need some variety other than branding news yeah it must be like a a transition from the new year type of thing that inspires so much rebrands because I mean we didn't even talk about it but Baskin Robbins did a rebrand that was a little bit more subtle in nature but still excellent. Yeah Red Red sent that to us right? Yes yeah yeah Red Red sent that and let us know and JKR did that one and then Kia did a big new logo reveal which we shared actually in our newsletter last week but we didn't actually talk about on the podcast so GM I think did a new rebrand they have like a lowercase logo now which I remember seeing that a week or so was my mind GM is like huge I mean that's a pretty big deal I didn't read too much about it but new year new look yeah I guess so But thankfully, we found a bunch of other interesting kind of more type nerdy stuff to share this week that Mm -hmm. I'm honestly excited about all these links. I think they were all cool. And then what tease us about Nerd Alert this week? Our our Nerd Alert is going to be a fun one. And uh, this one's close to my heart. I love talking about like obscure type topics. So this one is going to be a few typeface categories they didn't teach you in school that are a little bit more obscure, a little bit more off the beaten path, but loved by me. So I want to <laughs> kind of share a vault of knowledge. I bet, you know, if the real type nerds might know some of these or all of these, but I certainly wish I was kind of aware of them a little bit earlier in my career. So yeah, uh, you've even tuned. taught me some of these. I didn't, you know, I didn't even know some of these. So I think that's going to be really fun too at the end. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. And to start off this week, we have a great article from our friends over at FemType. And it's a profile on Ulrich Rausch. I practiced her name before this. Sure. And she worked alongside Chris Camp to create a book called Designing Fonts. That's the English version, English edition. It's also called Making Fonts. I believe that was the German edition. And she sits down with Fentype and talks about this 
new edition of the book and the craft of font production. And so she is a type designer. Her foundry is called Liebe Fonts and she's based in Berlin. And a lot of the fonts that they offer are kind of display uh, typefaces with a handwritten feel. And so I've seen Liebe Hyde before. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's the one that looks like a ballpoint pen is writing and it's a color font. But all of her typefaces have just like a really handwritten, handcrafted quality. And that's kind of where she specializes in. So I actually have my hands on the book designing fonts because you, Micah, were so generous to gift it to me for the holidays. And so I was I was already kind of interested in hearing a little bit more about the process of the book, but she focuses on typefaces that look like handwriting and typefaces that have a large amount of alternates in, in it. And even in the book, she makes it really approachable. She was like, you don't have to be a type designer to make your first font. You just have to, you know, maybe you're a letterer and you want to go ahead and make that leap into doing a font or maybe you're an illustrator that needs a great font to go alongside your illustrations. So I think she has a pretty unique angle and comes from a background of lots and lots of handwritten type. I do really love that, that like low key feeling that most of typography doesn't seem to have that. I think that's just one of the things that, that I really latched onto and why I thought you would appreciate that book too, is because it was just like, not not a huge deal. It's like, hey, you love fonts? Let's make some. Yeah, and I think it was a really new approach. You know, I started reading it. I haven't gotten very far, but the approach is just like very open to a lot of people. Even in the article she mentions, like it's okay if you design a font and it's not like picture perfect. If you want to like dip your toes in the water, just go through the motions and the production of making a font. And once you get the hang of it and you understand that process, you can go in deeper, make a more well-crafted font and kind of take that one step further. But she says like that actually understanding the production is kind of will open the floodgates to understanding, oh, okay, if I have all the steps down, then it's just the forms that are the next level to make it better and better and better. And I think it's a really interesting approach to it all. I definitely appreciate that. You know what, I gotta say of, of like, I had previously found the color font you were talking about that looks like a ballpoint pen. Mm -hmm. And I love this font so much because it's a ballpoint pen and just somebody's handwriting, like so nonchalant, so cool. And I'm always disappointed because I, we haven't really talked much ever, I think, about what color fonts are or SVG mm -hmm. fonts. And that's a whole category that, I don't know, maybe we could do a nerd alert about someday. We should. But it's one of those things I, that I'm like, man, I wish that existed on the web because I mostly work on the web. And it makes it such an interesting, realistic output sometimes. You yeah. can only use it on the desktop. Well, this is certainly motivating reading this article and also having that book to finally turn my lettering that I use for every single uh, episode artwork into a font and just make my workflow more efficient. I can't wait for that. Which you've been suggesting for almost a year now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you're a busy gal. You've got stuff to do. That's true. That's true. But I definitely think this is worth sharing for anyone that is interested in like the basics of font production and needs just like a little push to feel like they can do it because you can do it. Yeah. Our next article or tool is definitely a step deeper into the type nerd world hemisphere <laughs> and that is font goggles and micah you've been using this tool so i want to hear a little bit about it from you as a user yeah so font goggles is a mac only desktop app 
which is always unfortunate because we know that there's plenty of people who use Linux and Windows and all that, but it's a very interesting, unique, tiny little app that lets you drop a font in and see with sliders and checkboxes all the features that are available and more interestingly for what I've been working on recently, all the variable axes. So we've definitely talked about variable fonts in the past and this is, it's the world of variable fonts. So that's what I've been working on. I've been working on this like somewhat secret project for a big type foundry that is all about educating about variable fonts and how they work and how you can use them and all of the crazy things they enable. Variable fonts, the axes that are inside, they're not really standardized and of the ones that even lots of people use particular names for particular axes, the ranges are not even standardized. So like one font, you know, it'll have a minimum on some slider of eight and a maximum of 144. And you're like, how am I supposed to know what's inside this font? Uh, and things like the built-in stuff in our operating systems, like Fontbook on Mac, don't show you that kind of stuff. It doesn't exist there yet. So this is just like a cool little app that I have been using frequently. I remember when I first found it, it's not brand new, but it is open source, which is cool and free. And so I kind of found it a long time ago, downloaded it, was like, huh, neat. And then as I started working with variable fonts recently and figuring out how to use them, I started being like, oh shoot, this is actually really useful. Well, funny enough, after I started looking into this link, after you posted it in our little Groupa collection of links, I remembered that it sounded really familiar. Mm-hmm. And months back, I think you were mentioning a project you were working on with Thomas, because there's always something going with you and Thomas, where you were having a hard time finding the data inside of a font. And you're like, it's so hard to find this data. And Juan Villanueva was listening to that episode and actually DM me being like, does Micah know about font goggles? Oh. <laughs> and I think it must've gone lost in like me just like, lost in my inbox or something but I was like oh my god is this what Juan was talking about and lo and behold I like went through like my old dms with Juan (laughs) I was like oh my god he was definitely telling me about this no wonder it wasn't totally foreign so there's definitely also testimonials from lots of type designers on the font goggle site Juan's a type designer too very talented so definitely used by the industry which is always great to see it's kind of just a weird little standalone tool too i don't know like i'm more used to seeing like a plug-in for robofont or glyphs or something Mm -hmm. that does fancy stuff it's a little bit more rare to be like hey here's an app that does this one thing and it's also a little i think it's unusual in terms of ui ux to have an app that is really just about reading stuff Mm -hmm. how many apps do you interact with that you can't edit or write new things for you know so it's really just a reader even like mac os preview which is meant to like read pdfs you can (laughs) still use that to like mark things up and this is Mm -hmm. strictly for reading information about fonts which is kind of neat very cool it's truly just some some goggles you gotta put on and you get it's like the magic goggles i don't know if that's i'm very bad at connecting ideas like that like i was just looking (laughs) at the name font goggles as like it's as if it was named Brian, you know, like it had no <laughs> yeah. meaning to me. As soon as you said that just now, I'm like, oh, there was a reason why it was named that. That's cute. Yeah, 
That is cute. I love it. Very cool find. And I'm sure lots of people are going to find this helpful addition to their library of things. Mm-hmm. Our next article you found, which is super cool. And that is Braille Noia. And it is a typeface that combines Braille characters with existing alphabetic characters in one like typeface which I've never seen before. It's really interesting. It looks so neat. Right now they have the Latin alphabet. They're currently working on doing a Japanese and Latin alphabet, but just like a really exciting endeavor to see how we're making typography more accessible and just like general, you know, things that we interact with more accessible in a really smartly designed way. I think we wanted to put this in the articles section instead of like, the member exclusive here's a cool font section because mm-hmm. it's still a work in progress i don't think you can even get it right like it's I don't just think so. demonstrating that they're working on this idea but i agree too i mean i have to admit braille is a thing that i almost never think about because yeah. i don't have to and it's interesting because i i had i had no insight into what the letter system in braille really was I don't think yeah. I even fully understood that it was just a normal Latin alphabet, to be honest. I just never really needed to look into it. You know, I'm grateful that I didn't, but I didn't. Kind of like sign language. Like, I just don't know enough about it. Yeah, um, because in sign language, it's not necessarily a, like your movements aren't a direct translation to alphabetic forms. Whereas I agree, I didn't realize Braille was a direct translation to Latin characters. Yeah, and it's interesting that it's not just dots on Latin characters. Yeah. You know, like it is, I mean, obviously it is its own written system, but it's just so interesting that like, I don't know. I don't don't know the history about that. Maybe that would also be an interesting nerd alert someday. But it's neat in any case. I, I think it's a really noble effort to like combine those things so that it's accessible to both people who can and can't see at the same time. Yeah, it makes sense for like a lot of, building signage where like we don't even realize that but they show this typeface in a large format and they said they were conducting research to see if braille was still readable at large sizes and as long as there was a six dotted pattern it is readable so like thinking about the uses of this typeface in ways that i feel like we haven't seen braille being accessible before so i think that's really cool kind of heckin neat alongside that we have more really just nerdy nerdy stuff so (laughs) if you're a type nerd you came to tune in on the right day and this was pythonfordesigners.com a very cool educational resource to help designers like you and i understand python which I never have understood Python, but I've been poking around at the different lesson plans on this. And like even seeing the lesson plan about typesetting with the drawbot, which I believe uses Python code, was fascinating to me. Like using code to typeset. I learned that from you, honestly, when we were doing coding last year. But I mean, to take it like another step further to make all your typesetting be automated. That's a very cool thing. Yeah, it's interesting. So Python is the programming language of choice of most modern type designers, which I don't love that. I'm not sure how that happened. Like Mm -hmm. why Python? But I've definitely seen, so these are attached to some courses that this guy does. He does like live online courses teaching Python to type designers. And I had seen those in the past 
And I had never seen this like written out manual. I really wonder if this is the manual for the course. Like you just go through this manual together in person with practice or something. I'm not sure. But it is kind of neat because, yeah, the, he references Drawbot all the time. He loves Drawbot. But Python exists in like plugin form in glyphs and mm. RoboFont and even I think FontForge, which is the open source one. And uh, what's that big one that people used to use that don't use anymore? Font Lab? Font Lab. I think it's even, yeah. that was that was how you could write code in Font Lab too, is Python. That makes sense. So to be fair, I haven't read through this whole manual. It seems pretty dense. It's beautiful yeah. for one thing, like the typography is beautiful, the illustrations are beautiful, but it also seems like, oh, this is a lot. Yeah, I think, I mean, I started reading the lesson plan on like, should a designer code, which is like, I feel like a big question that designers have asked themselves forever. Maybe not you, Micah, because you already are past that question. But <laughs> I've certainly asked myself it many times in the past. And they make some good points about, you know, pragmatic ways to use code in your design workflow, not necessarily to design websites or apps, but like how to optimize how you design by having some knowledge of coding. Which I think is pretty interesting. And I also like the like exercises that are sprinkled throughout. Yeah. Like one of the exercises is explain to a friend how to get to the nearest ice cream shop, avoid redundancy, yet be completely non-ambiguous. And it sounds like one of those very simple tasks, but then you have to realize that if you're trying to describe it to somebody who had never been in your area or your city before, you have to be really explicit about telling them which direction to turn and how far to walk and what to look for and when mm -hmm. to decide that this is the right ice cream shop instead of the wrong ice cream shop. And that is such wow. a great metaphor for coding. Yeah, I was going to say that like takes me back to when I was learning coding with you. I'm just like thinking of every single step along the way and being like, well, this can't happen if this part isn't triggered. And like all the stuff that I've taken for granted as a designer has been coded at some point. Mm. Which sounds so. intimidating, but I think is also sometimes fun to think through. Yeah. I mean, more fun for you because <laughs> you do this. <laughs> you enjoyed it. You enjoyed it. I know I did. I loved learning how to code with you, but it's certainly, and it certainly did open my mind. Like the same way like type design has opened my mind as a graphic mm. designer, even though I'm not a type designer. It's a great tool to be open to learning and to understand the fundamentals of, because I think it it will open your mind to a lot of a lot of different possibilities. Totally. And Mike is a great tutor. Just a shout out if anyone's interested. <laughs> yeah, that's I true. A lot I am looking him. for more tutoring students of like designers that have always wanted to learn how to code, especially like front end stuff. So hey, if yeah. anybody's out there, yeah, yeah, hit him up. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just advertising you for you. It's great. Great. Time to take a break and say thank you to Adobe for helping to sponsor this week's episode. Their creative suite is one of the standards of design software and comes with a subscription to a giant library of fonts that you can install. We've even got a few of our fonts in their library as well. We are grateful for them supporting the community with us. Totally. 
And thanks, too, to our members. Um, if you don't know, we've got a small and wonderful membership where for a tiny amount every month, you get awesome extra resources in our weekly typographic emails every week. Those are cool fonts that we found that you might want to add to your arsenal. Current jobs or gigs you might be interested in. Um, at the moment, it's only $5 a month, and we're upgrading a bunch soon. So hop in now if you want to get those goodies next week. Okay, our last article... Can I just say, we have like, we have narrowed down our articles for this year. And I, I feel like we just have quality over quantity. And I'm just so into it. I'm into mm. all these articles. I this agree. Is great. Okay. Um, really excited about this one. Came across it somewhere on Design Twitter, which I always love to see positive things on Design Twitter. Not always <laughs> the case. And this is a story or more of a process article from Olivia King. She's from the agency for the people. It's based in Australia. She's a design director there. And she talks about the whole process of creating an open source typeface for a community in Tasmania. And I believe it was called Derwent Valley. They were at the predicament at the beginning saying, okay, this community does not have a large budget. So we don't think that we can do a font that we have to license to pay because they want it to be available to every single person in the community, whether it's someone that works at the national parks or someone that works, you know, in the government, they were like, we cannot pay to get this license for like uh, over a thousand heads. There's no budget in this project, but they also didn't want to just use a font that was on their computer just because they felt like they were limited. They couldn't find anything that was quite right on Google fonts. And so they came to the solution that as a design studio, they'd take advantage of the open source type community and and learn from what was existing to adapt a new font for Derwent Valley. And I don't know if this was explicitly told in the article, but I actually looked it up. They started this typeface by downloading Archivo, which is an open source font by Google Fonts, and modifying that to create the open source font that they created for Derwent Valley. And so something that Mike and I immediately noticed is like there's some really intense ink traps in this font that they customized. And it gives it some character. They also rationalize it by saying there's a lot of old fairy tales and stories about Derwent Valley, but also that the first mill to print newsprint in Australia was in this community. So they felt like the ink trap was a good fit aesthetically and conceptually. And so they figured out a way to implement this into this display type that they designed, which turns out beautiful, actually. It's called Derwent Valley Display. And I love the idea that they didn't have necessarily the type design skills to start a typeface from scratch, but they did have the skills to modify something that was existing. Mm. And so that's kind of how they approached it to make this display typeface that felt different, but didn't didn't require, you know, hundreds of hours of work from a type designer and still did the job. I thought that was a really interesting solution. I agree. That is like an avenue that I have always been super supportive of that I haven't heard people talk about very much is making a new font based on an existing open source font. And this is so beautiful to just see them like, I don't I feel like there's, there's maybe some weird kind of like shame around that for some reason. And this yeah. article is the opposite. It's like, hey, you know what? This is a good, this is what it's made for, and this is great. So let's do it and see how awesome we can make it. And I love that positive take on it. That's how it should be. Yeah. And I think it's like a really realistic solution. Like, if they don't have a budget, but you really truly don't feel like there's anything available that's open source 
that's like cookie cutter that they can just pick up and use. Like they consulted a type designer at some point, but it really was the graphic design team that took this on. And, and, and they definitely like learned to be humble about type design. I think it was a lot of effort in the end. It's not just like some willy nilly thing, but it was an interesting, yeah, middle point to this area is like, open source fonts are available to adapt. Like you don't have, like you can't sell them, but if you don't want to sell them, it really could be a great solution that is not really been tapped. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's so. such a good point. That's such a good point. I also yeah, loved at the end, besides how wonderful and uplifting this is, I loved at the end, just the little snippets of like extra learnings for those playing at home. And mm -hmm. they, were, they were just solid like beginner tips. Like you might be inclined mm -hmm. to start first in Illustrator, which is fine for experiments, but you're going to want to move to glyphs. Like glyphs is meant for typeface design. And there's a lot that you get out of moving to glyphs. Mm -hmm. And obviously glyphs isn't the only option, but that, you know, that, that is still a good tip. Like there is software that is designed for this that will help you yeah. if you're a beginner. Yeah. I loved this. And it's just a really cool project. I mean, they're clearly a very talented design agency. Everything looks just beautiful, the output. So gorgeous. Lovely to see. Worth sharing with your friends. Definitely worth sharing. All right, Micah. I love when you say that because that means it's time. Switching gears. Oh. Nerding out. Okay. All right. So typeface categories. Let's start with like what I consider typeface categories. It's like that chart that you get in your first typography class. You have the anatomy chart to teach you all the, like the different structures of letter forms. And you get the chart that's like, this is a geometric sans serif. This is a humanist sans serif. This is a grotesque and this is a modern and transitional. Like there are super basic ways to categorize typefaces that we learn after we learn what a serif and a sans serif is basically <laughs> mostly just learned them for um, the quiz and then forgot them but yeah yeah like even sometimes i will be like wait what's the difference between like an old style and transitional oh wait it's like the <laughs> axis that like i never even look at these days right. so but yeah exactly you always have to learn them for your first quiz in typography and then you usually forget them and then you usually don't even like use them. Like I'll sometimes like, I usually say sans serif are like grotesque or they're geometric or there's some other in between. But people, I remember used to be like, ooh, what is this neo-grotesque like letter form, which is like a more new agey classification, which I think is interesting. But we got some other classifications. They didn't teach you in school, in your typography class, in a YouTube video that you might've been looking at. So <laughs> I want to school everyone listening today and i have a few different categories they're really fun they're a few favorites so i might be a little biased but like i think we should all <laughs> learn them because i didn't learn these until like the past few years so i think like i wish i learned these when i was in school and maybe i would have experimented a little bit more we're starting out with tuscans tuscans are like my favorite underground type category because we actually see this typeface a bunch we just don't know what to call them we usually call them western fonts so tuscans were popular in the 19th century so i think 1800s and they are known for being overly decorated like kind of over the top display typeface think that but they have those branching or sometimes called bifurcating serifs that like have their, I, I wish you could see my hands. They're doing the thing. They're like together and then coming apart. So that is a type style that was popular. Think of like a wanted ad in a Western movie. Like mm. that wanted typeface is the Tuscan saloon fonts. 
sometimes yeah. the word cold, but Tuscan is a much more fun word for it. And sometimes they are reverse contrast. So sometimes the heavier weight is actually in the serifs rather than in the stems. Mm, interesting. Okay. If you want a good example, you can just search Tuscan font. It's still like popular enough that you can find them. I think in Ellen Lupton's Thinking with Type, she actually does categorize them. I know I first learned about them. Fun little personal story is when Hoffler & Co. released their typeface Inkwell. And Inkwell had a bunch of different different styles within it. And it was kind of a casual handwriting font, but they had a black letter and a sans serif and a serif and a Tuscan. And that's when I learned what Tuscan was. So that's also a great example of Tuscan in their library. Googling this real cool. quick also made me realize, probably related to Old West, is motorcycle clubs, biker Ooh. gangs, you know, like Hell's Ooh. Angels and stuff Good like reference. that. You see yeah. this on the back of their leather coats. Ooh, I love that. I'm going to have to look that up. This was some good examples. On the other side of the more formal typography range, we have a Scotch Roman. So Scotch <laughs> Roman is also like rarely used these days to describe typography. It's going to be more commonplace than a Tuscan. So if you want to think immediately what a Scotch Roman is, think about like a Baskerville. Think about a transitional font. It's another name for those type of transitional fonts. They were a class of typefaces popular in the early 19th century, again, taking you back to the 1800s. And they were designs sold by Scottish type foundries, hence Scotch Roman, that later became popular in the United States. So I think they were actually mostly called Scotch Romans in the U.S. because we were like, oh, they're imported from Scotland. So that's pretty interesting. And so a few other descriptors, they're serif. They're suitable for both body and large text, such as headings. And, you know, they're pretty regular as far as width. They're not condensed. They're not compressed. They have their large ball terminals, horizontal serifs and sharply vertical axis. So, you know, you can think of a Baskerville. I looked at a lot of Scotch Romans when I was designing Vreeland, my font I made in college. That, oh, that one that had never launched? Yeah. It's definitely a little bit more display than like, you can't really use that one in body text, but had a lot of elements. I love a good ball terminal, you know? So I'm a little curious, like, since this is so similar to other type categories that we have seen before, how do you, like, is there some distinguishing feature is it the ball terminal like what is that how do we how do we look at a font and say oh this is a scotch roman and not a transitional something else so i think you can't really look at a font and say it's a scotch roman rather use scotch roman as a classification to like revive a scotch roman or like i was looking at scotch romans because i think there's there's a lot of fonts that come from a scotch roman lineage but i can't necessarily say that you look at a font and you're like, that's a Scotch Roman because a Scotch Roman is kind of, I guess, an outdated classification, maybe. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. That's not super clear. But if someone I mean, wants that basically to counter, is it's just like a type of transitional font. Yeah. Right. And yeah, uh, a lot of that has to do more with the history of of when that initial one was made than the fact that it's visually has these characteristics. 100% because I feel like when I mostly see Scotch Roman in contacts, it's always like this font is uh, derived from the Scotch Roman category of fonts that were from the 1800s. And these were like the specific notes that we found in the Scotch Romans that we have revived. But if someone wants to argue me on this, go ahead. Go ahead. 
I will. I will gladly uh, have open ears. All right. Next one. Not much to say here. I don't even know if this is like an official type term, but like, I don't know. I think it should be because I feel like I've been seeing Rotalics a decent amount. I've designed my own Rotalic because I think they're really cool type category. And so we all know what an italic is. You know, we have an oblique version of our Roman, which is obviously adjusted because italics aren't just a slanted Roman. They take more nuanced characteristics. But a rotalic is you, you're not changing the original form of your Roman counterpart or Roman letter form. Instead, you are rotating each form so that each letter form is rotated but not slanted and therefore creates a rotalic kind of visual. It's, it's a funky one. It's I think I am one. just seeing this for the first time. I Googled this as you're talking and I, I now totally understand it's it, instead of skewing the letters, you're literally yeah. rotating each character just yeah. like a couple degrees. So the whole thing looks like it's each letter is like individually about to fall over. Yes. That's yes. so weird. I've never seen it's this before. So, what the heck? I, yes, you have. I designed, I did a lettering piece with a rotalic. I mean, you, maybe I saw it, but just thought it was an illustration and not a font. Typefaces, yeah, typefaces that are rotalic have a really hard time spacing themselves. And I thought about making my rotalic lettering typeface, but it would just be way too hard for spacing. If you want to see a modern contemporary rotalic, uh, Grilly Type has a typeface called Haptic, and it is a geometric and it's it gets real funky they it's have a rotel it it gets real funky but as you can see the spacing is just it, it can get difficult at times is what i'd say yeah there's interest i'm i'm like going a few levels deep on google results now and i get it now it's not it, you know it's not a particular type of font like there's geometric there's sans serif i'm seeing it in serif i'm seeing it in all different manner of it's, it's literally just you decide to rotate the letters and it's called a rotalic. That's crazy. That sounds made up. Yeah. I think it was made up in like 2007. I think someone designed <laughs> the first rotalic and that's like, but I think it's a great name. All right. Uh, we got two more. Two more. Spare so with us. Backslant. Olivia mm. loves her italic things. Of you course. Wrote- oh my God. That sounds complicated, but you could do it. So backslant, and this might be a little bit more popular. Backslants are becoming more popular every day I see more backslants but they are a type of typeface that instead of a forward skew or slant that an italic carries there's a backward skew or slant that this backslant has and so it's basically a backwards italic backslant for short I have to say I worked on a backslant several years ago it was so hard to design it's so hard to make letters naturally look like they're leaning to the left because we don't read we don't (laughs) read in that direction i think italics make sense because we read from left to right so it's like carrying us through but backslants get really funky but i think that it's it's an interesting take it does feel a little bit subversive in the typographic world fontsinuse.com which is one of my favorite places to hang out has a great catalog of backslants i think if you put in backslants or maybe left leaning italics you can see some great examples of how people use this in the real i can't handle it i can't handle it it's so <laughs> difficult to read i've seen it before and I'm just like, why? I don't get it. I certainly would understand in other languages, like right to left languages. Sure, that makes mm-hmm. sense. And I can kind of see it sometimes in handwriting. Okay, you're a weirdo and you write the wrong way. 
I don't understand when it's like a legit beautiful typeface that's leaning the wrong. It just reminds me of that Fat Joe song, Lean Back. Remember that from like, I don't know, high school or something. I'm older than you. I'm an old man. (laughs) I love that you mentioned handwriting, though, because I need to get back into this book. But for a while, I was reading this book called Sex, Lies, and Handwriting. And Mm. it was written by, I think, a CIA handwriting analyzer. (laughs) And she was talking about the left-leaning signature, left-leaning handwriting, and that it subconsciously means that that person is hiding something. Or Or a psychopath. It had notes of that too. And if anyone knows Donald, Donald Trump's signature is, is a backslant. So I think, I think that analyzer would have a few shots fired as Seriously. if he didn't fire first. I don't even care. <laughs> oh, okay. Our last one is a unicase typeface, which there's a unicase alphabet and then a unicase font. And so I was more familiar with the unicase font going into this. And if you can kind of think about the word in general, you can understand that unicase means that a font doesn't have any upper or lower case. Everything is kind of the same height. It's unicase, mm. as in, you know, sometimes it could be a font that has mostly all caps letters, and then some letters are lowercase forms, but they're the same height as the uppercase letters. I know this because I've worked on some of the Popeye's work. The new logo is unicase. So it's uppercase P, uppercase O, uppercase P, and then lowercase E's. And so that's kind of a unicase in in use. While I was looking up unicase fonts, though, I ran into the Wikipedia page for unicase alphabets. And that's when an alphabet just has one case for its letters. And so that includes Arabic, Old Hungarian, Hebrew, Georgian, Hangul. Those are unicase writing systems. And ones that are not unicase, they're called bicameral. So that is like Latin, Greek, Cyrillic. So there is upper and lower case. Not everything's the same height. But once upon a time, Latin used to be a unicase alphabet in imperial Roman times. It was only later when there was running texts that we became, a, there was a lowercase counterpart. So that's, that's a nerdy why, fact. That's a good one. That was my nerdy punch into this, <laughs> into this nerd alert. Like, like we haven't been nerdy this whole time. I'm curious, you know, especially as someone who has recently worked with the unicase font application do you have any thoughts on why you might want to choose a unicase font like it's a choice now yeah i actually i think that the popeyes logo is executed really well and i'm not just saying that because it was done by jkr i swear guys (laughs) but i do think that the popeyes logo used to have this bouncing baseline so the letters were kind of like unevenly jauntily like had this sort of energy to it and that is kind of within the Popeyes brand. And then the new Popeyes logo, I think they still want to incorporate that kind of whimsical, lighthearted nature of Popeyes, but they still want to streamline it a little bit more to feel more modern. And I think that the lowercase E's in the Popeyes logo actually does like kind of create the like whimsical, fun, young nature of Popeyes without, you know, since they got rid of the kind of bounciness within the letter forms, that was like their way to input, hey, we're also kind of goofy and fun and we're not like totally straight laced. So yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I can totally pick up on that. I'm just seeing images of different Unicase fonts. I think, I, I mean, I don't think it's always that case. Like one of the first images that pops up is from Font Shop, which is a very serious mm-hmm. type foundry. And it looks like Roman lettering. Yeah, wow. 
And so it's it's a more historic version of that, which doesn't look fun mm-hmm. anymore. Like a lot of the goofier mm-hmm. modern ones look fun like you're describing. And some of the other yeah. ones, it almost feels more historic because it's unusual like that. Well, I love that perspective. And I think that's like important to go into because I think of, when I think of Unicase, I think of honestly Unchul, the, the calligraphy category that I've learned before. And there are some descenders and ascenders but for the most part, like your lowercase a, it's the form of the lowercase a, but it's the same height as the uppercase letters. And it does have this really like formality to it. And that goes back to like what I was saying about Latin used to be a unicase alphabet. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense now. That kind of makes sense now. And one of the fonts that I have seen a million times that I never realized counts in this category is Philosophia. I don't know how to pronounce it by emigre fonts. Philosophy. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was like, oh shoot, that's yes. that's one of them too. Crazy. Yeah, I definitely think like Unicase fonts, they're not used very often, so they get definitely swept under the rug. But I think that there's still great use cases for them, and I'd love to see more units in the world. What a fun nerd alert. Thank you. Good hacking work, time. my friend. Thanks for you know keeping the conversation going. And I'm always learning when you're learning too. So make a great pair. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed all that fun schnaz. And as always, too, if you find something neat during the week and want to share it with us, we're definitely looking for cool stuff to include. And I'm always grateful when somebody shares something cool, even just a neat thing like, hey, did you see this rebrand? So share it with us. We got email. We got Twitter. We got Instagram. Also, if there's any other typeface categories that you find obscure and are underloved and underappreciated, please send them to me. I want to know like your favorite obscure type <laughs> classifications. And other than that, we will see you next week with more great fun links and more fun nerd alert. Do 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 do